On the 2002 album, Woven and Spun, Nicole Norderman sings a song where she is grasping for things to call God. She's trying to see God as everything she needed him to be throughout her life and everything that she needed him to be in her present and her future. In the song, as a young girl, she called God elbow healer and superhero. As she got older, she called him heartache healer and secret keeper. After she was married and had kids, she called him shepherd, savior, and pasture maker. And as she thought about her life as an older woman getting up in years, she called him creator, maker, life sustainer, comforter, healer, my redeemer, Lord and King, and the beginning and the end. There's some other names of God that might be familiar to us are El Shaddai, which means God Almighty, and Emmanuel, that means God with us. Some other names that we've seen in our study of Genesis are El Elyon, which means God Most High, and El Roy, which means the God who sees. Throughout my life, there's been a few names of God that have meant a lot to me, such as Shepherd and Creator, Savior, Healer, Provider, and Abba, which means Father. So this morning, as you think about some names of God that have meant a lot to you throughout your lives, what names come to mind? In fact, go ahead and shout them out. Anybody? Comforter, yep. yep. So in her song, Nicole Norderman's calling on God using all these various names, and we do the same thing. And God spoke to her and said in the song, I am, is all that she needed. She realized that there is only one name that meets her every need. And it encompassed all the other names for God. I am. Now, I am is God's calling card to us, so to speak, when we're in need. This morning, we're going to continue the narrative of Moses and his encounter with God. Last week, we saw that God arrested Moses on the mountain of Horeb from within the burning bush. He told Moses that he was the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that he had seen the oppression and heard the cries of his people. And he had come down to rescue them and lead them to the promised land. And then he tells Moses that he's the one that he's going to send to bring his people out of Egypt. And what we're going to see this morning is Moses' reaction to what God says about bringing his people out of slavery. And Moses is going to pose a couple questions to God. And God is going to give him his calling card that will not only give him the confidence and power that he needs to fulfill his calling, but to also convince the Israelites of who has sent Moses to rescue them. This calling card will be a witness to the people that Moses has had a personal interaction with God and that God has the power to do what he says he will do. It will not be Moses who will rescue the Israelites because he is inadequate and weak. It will be God because he is the great I am. He's the almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing God. And he will rescue his people from slavery in Egypt, and he will lead them into the promised land. I like this quote from John Bloom. God does not need you to be strong. 
He wants to be your strength. God did not need Moses to be strong. God wanted to be his strength. And that brings us to the big idea this morning that in our weakness, God is strong. So before we start to unpack that, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your Holy Spirit who is with us this morning. We pray that you would fill us this morning, that we would open our hearts and our minds to your word. We pray that it would be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path as we live our daily lives on this earth. May your word feed us, heal us, cleanse us from all sin, and give us the strength to overcome the test and trials and difficult circumstances in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to continue our study in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 11 to 22. The first point here is called Credentials of Moses, and that's found in verses 11 and 12. This is what God's word says. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship him on this mountain. So God has just told Moses that he's sending him to Pharaoh so he can bring his people out of Egypt. And the first word we see in our scripture is the word but. You know, if your parents told you to clean your room or your boss told you that they needed this or that by the end of the day, and your response started with the word but, what would that signify? It would probably signify a reluctance on your part, followed by an excuse or objection. But I cleaned my room last week, or last month, or last year. Or but I am too busy to do that right now. Moses responds to this call from God to rescue his people with reluctance and a series of Objections or excuses. This morning we're going to talk about two of those excuses. The first is, but who am I? Some commentators say that this was humility on Moses' part because he didn't think he had the credentials to go to Pharaoh and bring his people, bring God's people out of Egypt. Others believe it may have been simply a lack of self-confidence or unwillingness to obey. But no matter what is true, Moses felt inadequate to do the job that God was calling him to do. But I am just a shepherd. But I had to run away from Egypt. But I am the wrong person for the job. But they won't believe me. You know, have you ever been reluctant to do something that the Bible commands us as Christians to do? One area I think about a lot is evangelism or witnessing. Have you ever used the excuse, you know, I can't do that? Or I'll let someone who has that gift to do that. What if they make fun of me? Or I'm not the person for the job? So did Moses. God's answer to Moses' question of who am I was it didn't matter who Moses was or if he was even capable or not to do the job. Notice that God did not deny that Moses was inadequate. 
What mattered was that God had called him and would equip him with what he needed to do to be able to get the job done. God did not need Moses to be strong. God would be his strength. God promised his presence would be with him as he went to his people and to Pharaoh. In the New American Standard, it says that God would assuredly be with him. Quote, I am with you, unquote, is found throughout the Bible as the way that God encouraged his people as he called them to his work in the world. We see this with Jacob in Genesis 31.3, with Joshua in Deuteronomy 31.23 at his commissioning, with Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.8, and with Jesus in Matthew 28.18-20 when he gave his disciples the Great Commission. He promises his presence to go with us as well. God then gave Moses a sign that he was the one sending him to bring his people out of Egypt and it would confirm his divine calling. The sign would be that Moses, when he brought the people out of Egypt, would worship God on the same mountain as the burning bush. And there's some interesting things about this sign. One, it was a sign that would not be fulfilled for quite a while. Two, it was meant to build up Moses' faith. Moses was going to have to exercise faith in God that he was going to be with him, and he would give him the power to do what he was calling him to do. When the people would arrive back on this mountain to worship God, then Moses and the people of Israel would truly know that it was God who had called Moses and that his presence and power had been with them as he promised. And three, this mountain was not in a direct route from Egypt to the promised land. Since this mountain was way out of the way, it would make God's promise more miraculous when he led them back to it. Moses and the people would have to exercise their faith to believe in this sign from God. And when they arrived back at this mountain, their faith would be strengthened. This exercising and strengthening of their faith would help them as they later traveled in the wilderness. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that God's people are called to live by faith and not by sight. So where in your life do you need to exercise faith this morning? If you will exercise faith in God as he is fulfilling his promises in your life, your faith will also be strengthened. And that brings us to the first next step on the back of your communication card this morning, which is to exercise faith in the Lord as I wait on him to fulfill his promises in my life. By coming to this mountain and worshiping God, it would signify that the Israelites were no longer under Pharaoh's control. They would now be under the care of the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would be their covenant God and their deliverer, and worship would become a major part of their future as God's chosen people. Delivering his people out of slavery was the beginning of bringing them into a living, personal relationship with himself. Moses did not have the credentials to carry out this calling from God, but God did. And that brings us to the second point this morning, which is the credentials of God. And we see those in verses 13 to 15. Follow along as I read those words. This is what God's word says. Moses said to God, 
Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So here we see the second objection from Moses. The first objection or excuse was, but who am I? The second is essentially, but who are you? Moses was concerned that he went to the Israelites and said that God appeared to him. They would want to know who this God is that sent him. What is his name? This was actually a pretty good question on Moses' part. One, the Israelites had, not, had been living in Egypt for a long time with their plethora of gods. Second, they had, they had not had a new revelation from the God of their fathers in a long time. Joseph, Jacob, and the other sons had been dead for generations. So it's possible that many Israelites had forgotten the God of their fathers and had started to worship the gods that had influenced their culture, the culture around them. Third, in the ancient world, the names of gods were important. They provided information about the nature, reputation, and character of the God that they worshipped. To be able to truly worship and pray to the gods, you needed to call on his name. And to do that, you needed to know his name. Since there had been generations of divine silence, the people would naturally wonder exactly, who is this God that Moses says sent him? God graciously responds to Moses' question, giving him what I'm calling his calling card, which would be a witness to Moses' personal interaction with God. God says four very important things in this section. First, he's speaking specifically to Moses when he said, I am who I am, which could also be translated, I will be what I will be, or I will be God. What did God mean by this? It spoke to his character and reputation. He's saying that he is the self-existent creator. He's the sustainer. He's the unchanging and eternal one. He is the sovereign Lord and without equal. He is the active personal presence and covenant God of their fathers. Williams notes, contextually, the name I am who I am may well be taken as I will be to you as I was to them. This would encourage Moses that God would be with him and for him, just as he had been with and for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Second, he told Moses to tell the Israelites that I am has sent, them to, sent him to them. I am what I am told Moses about his character and reputation. I am was the name which spoke to what God was going to do now and in the future for his people. I am is translated Yahweh, which was the name of God that was known to their Israelite ancestors. N says this name would verify to Moses and the people 
that the God of their fathers is now going to rescue them as he promised long ago. Third, he told Moses to also tell the Israelites that the Lord, which is in all caps, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. The Lord was also the equivalent of Yahweh and I am, which connected to God who was sending Moses to free his people from slavery as the same God of their, as their forefathers. By using this name, God was calling the Israelites back to the faith of their fathers. I am was going to be for the Israelite people whatever they needed or whatever they lacked. And again, this reminds us of the Nicole Norderman song in the opening. She had all these names for God throughout her life, but the only one she truly needed was I am. When we need a deliverer, I am is all we need. When we need grace, mercy, and forgiveness, I am is all we need. When we need guidance, I am is all that we need. When we are worried about what is happening in the world, I am is all we need. When we are weak, I am is strong. So what do you need God to be for you today? You can call him the great I am for whatever you need. And that brings us to the second next step on the back of your communication card, which is to call him the great I am for blank. How would you finish that sentence this morning? What do you need I am to be or to do for you today? Fourth, God told Moses that his name, Lord, again in all caps, would be his name forever. It was the name that the Israelites were to call him from generation to generation. The covenant God, the Lord, Yahweh, I am, was the name that they were to call God for eternity. Later, Jesus would identify himself as one and the same as God by calling himself I am, which clearly identified him as the God of the burning bush. In John 8, 28, it says this. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And in John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And in John 8, 24, Jesus says this. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus Christ is God. He is the God who saves. And if you do not believe in him today, you have no hope of salvation. A Christian is a person who believes that God and Jesus are one and the same. He's the great I am. Jesus wants us to put his faith in him going where he sends us, trusting in his promise of everlasting presence, and believing that he is the God who saves. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you can profess, that you profess your faith and are saved. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then the third next step is for you today. Today could be the day of your salvation. My next step is to declare Jesus as Lord, believe that God raised him from the dead, and accept his free gift of salvation. If you take that next step, please mark your communication card so we can be in touch with you to talk about that decision. So far, the question and answers has, had been from Moses for Moses. Now that God had given Moses his calling card to prove that he had been sent by him, God gives Moses the content that he was to relate to the Israelite people. And that brings us to our third point this morning, which is content, found in verses 16 to 22. This is what God's word says. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what, you, what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you or the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards, his, towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. So Moses is to go to the elders of Israel and talk with them first. Why? They were the older men of the Israelite community who through age and experience were looked up to. The word originally meant bearded ones and were leaders in the community who promoted the standards of right living and arbitrated disputes. Also, it would have been impossible for all the Israelites to gather around and hear what Moses had to say. So God commanded Moses to go before the elders and be the divine spokesman of what God wanted his people to know. And then the elders would disseminate that to all the people. Referring to God as Lord, all caps, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, meant that the message to follow came from the covenant God who had committed himself to and made promises to their forefathers. Moses was to tell them that God has been watching over them and had seen their oppression. Stuart, in his commentary, says, God had noticed, seen, paid attention to his people. 
And he was not merely aware, but was going to do something about it. It would not happen by human means at all, but through God's power. Watched over is the same verb as come to your aid that we saw in Genesis 50, verse 24, where Joseph told his brothers that God will surely come to your aid. God had always cared for his people and had always been aware of what was happening to them. He was now going to keep the promise that he had made to their fathers that he would bring them out of their misery in Egypt and take them to the promised land. Next, we see the all-knowing omniscience of God. He gives encouragement to Moses by telling him that the elders will listen to him and that he has to take them along to confront Pharaoh. And God also gave Moses the words to say to Pharaoh. He's to tell Pharaoh that the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, met with them. And we notice a couple things here. One, they're to refer to the Lord as the God of the Hebrews because Pharaoh would not have known or cared about their fathers but he would understand they were talking about their God. Second, they told Pharaoh that the Lord met with them. Quote, met with us, unquote, would indicate that this request was a divine obligation. They would request that Pharaoh allow them to take a three-day journey into the wilderness or into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord their God. Now, we know that what God had in mind was not just a three-day journey, but a full-blown permanent leaving them from Egypt. We might ask, was Moses trying to deceive Pharaoh? No. This was actually the way that bargaining took place in the Near East. Stuart says those in the Near East preferred to use suggestive, gentle, restrained, and limited ways of making requests as opposed to simply coming right out and asking for what they wanted. And this made me think of a few things that we say today that don't really say what we mean. Like, would you please hand me the remote? Is really a way of saying, I'm going to control what we watch if you don't mind. <laughs> or, Dad, can I have the keys to the car? Usually means, Dad, may I use the car for the next several hours with no one else able to use it? Or, have you got a second? It's not, literally, it's not literal at all, but really is a way of saying, I'd like to take an indefinite amount of your time up. And he'll be with you in a moment. It's not literally true, but can mean, just keep waiting. He'll be free whenever he's free. Pharaoh knew and understood full well what Moses and the elders were asking. But what was more important was the purpose for their leaving. They wanted to go and offer sacrifices to their God in order to worship him. In Egyptian culture, Pharaoh was considered God. And therefore, this would have been a blasphemous request on their part. Pharaoh could have allowed them to worship in Egypt. But letting them leave Egypt to worship would have challenged Pharaoh's claims to be God and ultimately who had control over the people of Israel. God displayed his sovereignty by knowing the future and that the future would go exactly according to his plan. God knew that Pharaoh would not want to lose the slave labor force of the Israelites, much less give in to their request 
for the freedom to worship their God. God knew that Pharaoh would not let the Israelites leave Egypt unless a mighty hand compelled him. The mighty hand refers to God and what he will do to bring his people out of slavery. Pharaoh was known as, quote, one who destroys his enemies with his strong arm, unquote. So this deliberately pitted Yahweh against Pharaoh. Pharaoh's arm would be no match for God's mighty hand, and God would show his superiority over Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. God goes on to tell Moses how he's going to compel Pharaoh to let his people go. He says he's going to stretch out his hand and strike the Egyptians with wonders that he will perform among them. The word strike means to beat and is translated destroy in describing the impact of a flood in Genesis 8.21. God would strike the Egyptians with wonders, which would be extraordinary acts done by God's supernatural power. And we know these as the ten plagues. After these wonders, Pharaoh will let God's people go. In fact, the Hebrew phrase, let them go, means that Pharaoh will expel them from the land. He will kick the Israelites out because of the mighty wonders that God's mighty hand will do. God will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the Israelites, and they would not leave Egypt empty-handed. Just as God would compel Pharaoh to let his people go, he would compel the Egyptian people to give their valuables to them on the way out the door. This would fulfill the promise to Abraham in Genesis 15, 14, that his people would come out of captivity with great possessions. God goes on to explain how this would be done, which would show his power. Favorably disposed means that it would be in the Egyptians' women's best interest to give their valuables to the Israelite women. Remember the angel of the Lord is going to pass over, killing all the firstborn sons. The women would be willing to give anything to, get to let them leave. The Israelite women were to ask the Egyptian women, living in Goshen, and the Egyptian women they worked for as domestic servants for silver, gold, and clothing. The verb for ask actually means to demand. Most commentators say this was the equivalent of asking for wages that they should have received for the slave labor they were forced to do. Think of God's sovereignty here. The gold and the silver would be used in and for the tabernacle in the wilderness. And the clothing was not ordinary clothing, but valuable ones that they were to put on their sons and daughters. God knew that their generation would grow up in the wilderness and was preparing them for the future. This is the first mention of the second generation of wilderness Israelites in the narrative. And the emphasis is on women for two reasons. One, the Israelite women would have had direct contact with the Egyptian women in contrast to the Israelite men who would have not had direct contact because of the slave labor they were doing. And two, the power of God would be displayed 
that it was women who plundered the Egyptians. The word plundered conveyed conflict and war. And imagine the stigma of the mighty warriors of Egypt being plundered and conquered by women. This would have been a complete and decisive triumph of Israel over Egypt in the most peaceful way imaginable. All orchestrated and led by the great I am. A house servant had two large pots. One hung on each end of a pole that he carried across his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it. At the end of a long walk from the stream to the master's house, the cracked pot only arrived half full. The other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water. For two years, the servant delivered each day only one and a half pots full of water to his master's house. The perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, but the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its imperfections and miserable over accomplishing only half of what it had been made to do. After two years of what it perceived to be bitter failure, the cracked pot spoke to the servant one day by the stream. I am ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize to you. What are you ashamed of, asked the bear. For these past two years, I have been able to deliver only half my load because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way to your master's house. Because of my flaws, you do not get full value from your work. The servant said, as we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. As they went up the hill, the crackpot noticed the beautiful wildflowers on the side of the path. And when they reached the house, the servant said to the pot, did you notice the flowers grew only on your side of the path and not on the other pot's side? That's because I've always known about your flaw and I took advantage of it. That's because I've, because I planted flower seeds on your side of the path. And every day while we walk back from the stream, You've watered them. For two years, I've been able to pick beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Each one of us has flaws, and I would add weaknesses. But we, if we allow it, the Lord will use our flaws and our weaknesses to grace his Father's table. God does not need us to be perfect, only obedient to what he's calling us to do. So like Moses, let us embrace our flaws and weaknesses, acknowledging that in our weakness, he is strong, and become obedient to what he is calling each one of us to do. And that brings us to the last next step, for it's to acknowledge that I am weak, but God is strong, and be obedient to what God is calling me to do. As the ushers prepare to collect the offering and communication cards and as the praise team comes to lead us in a final song, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we know that in our weakness you are strong. Give us your power to be able to exercise our faith as we wait on your promises. Give us your strength to call on you, the great I am in our time of need. 
and fill us daily with your Holy Spirit so that we can be obedient to what you are calling us to do in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.